Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall, and I have a treat for you today. Today we are joined by Rachel Martin, who is the owner of Oceano Vineyards, based out of San Luis Obispo, California. So, I don't know how it is I keep getting so lucky, but it seems like whenever somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey, can I be on your show? I just keep meeting the greatest people. And Rachel is no exception to that. So Rachel comes to winemaking from a very early age. As you'll hear her talk about, her family had, or I believe still has, a vineyard in Virginia. She is now based out of New York, and the vineyard that she owns and operates is in Southern California. So she's all over the place. Her story is fascinating of being a woman in that industry, of owning, of operating, but here's the part that really mattered to me, not that the rest of it didn't matter, but this is the the, the extra important part to me. Oceano, this year in October, so this month, launched a line of non-alcoholic wine. Now, if you've ever had non-alcoholic wine before, I'm sure you had the exact same experience I did. It's absolute garbage. And I didn't know why that was. And so you'll hear Rachel talk about the difference between someone making a product that emulates wine. That is like a, a wine substitute sort of a thing. Or someone who buys large lots of just wine, what she calls bulk wine, and then de-alcoholizes it and sells that as non-alcoholic wine, which is, I'm sure, what I had. Versus what she and her company does, which is they make wine. They make a Pinot Noir. And then there is a process that she is going to explain to you a lot better than I possibly could. They remove the alcohol from the wine. And they are able to get it down to 0.5%, which as far as I'm concerned, has roughly the same amount of alcohol in it as toothpaste. So that's fine by me. Again, everyone else's sobriety journey is a little bit different. So you get to decide for yourself what is de-alcoholized enough for you. For me, 0.5 is fine. There's a product called Malta that we drink at my house fairly regularly. That's also got 0.5 in it. Not a big deal. So they make the wine. They make the wine as, as good as they can. That's the wrong way to say it. But they're trying to make a really good wine. Then they remove the alcohol from it. Then they put the stuff that the alcohol does, the carrying of the aromas and the bouquet and, 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 and certain qualities as far as mouthfeel and such like that, they put those things back in and then you have a de-alcoholized wine. Now, I have not tried it, uh, but spoilers, you get to the end of this interview, she's going to send me a bottle of this stuff, which is awesome. I can't wait to try it. Uh, I run the risk of having the same thing happen to me when I tried the, what are now really good non-alcoholic beers, which is, whew, some of them are a little too good. Some of them don't so much scratch the itch as they make me want to go out. And that's different. That's different. But I'm going to, I'm, I'm with an open mind, I cannot wait to try this wine. So I am, am tremendously excited for you to listen to this interview. Rachel was very generous with her time, very open, answered all of my, you know, somewhat inane questions. Uh, and again, I, she believes. And I agree with her that uh, by producing the first, let me see if I get her quote correct, the first luxury non-alcoholic wine in the Oceano Zero 2023 Pinot Noir, that this is a new thing that is going to be emulated and that is going to become far more mainstream. And so 
as you'll also hear in this interview, she is going to be increasing production. She's really leaning into it, which gives me hope that I will be able to go to a restaurant and have a nice meal and have a good non-alcoholic one. But it's all about me. I'm a very selfish dude. This is what I want for me. And we talk about stigma. We talk about the industry. We talk about all sorts of stuff. So I, this is the end of me. Why don't we get right into the episode? A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Lucky to be here. <laughs> right, heard that. Yeah, it's been, it's definitely been a couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, okay, got it, got the recording. Okay, cool, cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking some uh, some time to talk today. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been, uh, what do you call it, binging your podcast uh, <laughs> so that I can be acquainted with your style and uh, what you've been up to. Uh, it, it's going a little bit far to say that I have a style, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we're a lot. We uh, People are generally a love or hate kind of a crowd with us. Oh, all right. That's cool. I'm down with that. Sounds like fun. I think what I want to get into first with you is how did you come to us? How did you uh, decide that that coming out to this show was was a a good idea and be something that you would, you would want to do? <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I guess it all happened through our PR uh, firm. Uh, they're called Sip Steady. They do our marketing, social media, and we're doing PR for us as well. So I wasn't, I listened to podcasts, but I hadn't found your podcast. Sure. Um, I listen, you know, maybe because of how I came to podcasts the first time and maybe a little bit of laziness on my part that I, you know, I use Apple podcasts. And so I just, it just hadn't crossed my things. So um, Marissa reached out to you all and I listened to, you know, many episodes and I, yeah, I like chefs. Um, I know you all have a very unique perspective on the world of F and B food and beverage um, have incredibly hard work ethic and I have great respect for chefs in general. Um, so I thought, you know what why not why not well, that's that's awesome um one of the one of the things that i'm trying to do with this show right now is get other voices on because i know what i know you know i've been cooking since i was 14 and it's been mostly restaurants and hotels right and what you do so winemaking that is a huge gap in my my understanding my my knowledge base yeah. now don't get me wrong back in the day i really loved and enjoyed wine, right? Um, yeah. I've been sober for a little over 10 years now. Oh, and wow. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. It's more and more people that I talk to in my position in my industry are either secretly sober or are wondering about how to do mm, it. And secretly so, sober. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what really piqued my interest when your PR company reached out to me nice. is this, this whole 
there's this sober curious movement, there's sober October, there's all of these sorts of things. And I definitely want to get into uh, Oceano Zero, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Um, however, if if you could introduce yourself and give me the whole background first, because I know you've been making wine forever. And this this yeah. Zero Proof thing is Sure is feels like new. it. <laughs> um, hold on. Yeah, there. I just put on my focus mode so I wouldn't be interrupted. I'm sorry I hadn't done that ahead of time. Um, sure. Should I just tell you about me? Yeah, please do. Because you're from Virginia okay. originally, correct? I, I, you know, it just so happens that I was born in Virginia. I mm. didn't spend my entire life in the state of Virginia. I don't think that happens much anymore, um, especially as Americans. Yeah. I, um, Right. So I came to wine in Virginia and my stepfather, who introduced me to fine wine at a young age, um, you know, young age being 16 years old, I had already had alcohol before that point, um, but never, uh, never had the opportunity to revere it as an art and, um, an integral part of culture. And um, so I was lucky enough to, to have the opportunity to taste the finest of wines from the Bordeaux region um, at a young age. And then fast forward to 2001, um, my stepfather's name is John Cook and his family um owned the Washington Redskins football team before hmm. uh, it was purchased by Daniel Snyder and then changed to the commanders. Um, so once my stepfather's father passed away and they got out of the professional sports industry, uh, his lifelong held dream was to grow grapes and make wine. Uh, huh. And what better place to do it than the birthplace of American wine, which is Virginia. And that was started by the uh, Jamestown settlers uh, in the 1600s in um, in Virginia. In um, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's near Virginia Beach, near Norfolk, Williamsburg, hmm. uh, is where all this kind of started in Charlottesville. And so, anyway, um, it seemed like a great opportunity. A great foundational starting point uh as a wine producer and grape grower so my stepfather he um started you know ideating planting a vineyard and and building a winery and he asked me to be part of his team to do that i was just about 30 years old um yeah something like that and um, I had a career in photography. I went to the Museum School of Fine Arts uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, focusing on photography. So I had a career in that, but I had always uh, had an interest in wine and a love for wine and a love, not just for wine alone, but wine was always paired with food. Mm -hmm. um, so I early on started doing my own food pairings with my friends who are going to L'Academy de Cuisine in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and uh, so it was just naturally seemed like an incredible opportunity for me um, 
to start a career in wine um, as executive vice president of a brand new startup winery. Um, so I accepted uh, his offer. You know, he asked me to not uh, answer him immediately and to really think about it because um, there's a lot to unpack there, working for family, yeah. uh, starting something from nothing. Um, you know, we didn't know anything about growing grapes and making wine. And that's why he hired you know, international consultants um, for the vineyard and, and the winemaking. Um, but to prepare myself for the position, I went to the University of Bordeaux School of Enology for a diploma program in wine. Uh, and then also I went to school in Napa for enology and viticulture at Napa Valley College. Uh, all of this began in 2001, and then um, we cited our vineyard in 2002 and and um, built the winery in 2005, and that's when I took on my position. I, kicking and screaming, came back from Bordeaux <laughs> to <laughs> to Middleburg, Virginia, and mm -hmm. that is where uh, the winery is, was founded and is still there today. Um, it's all estate-grown fruit. So 26 acre vineyard, white and red grapes, Bordeaux style blends. Uh, then in 2006, we hired Stefan de Renencourt, uh to be the consulting winemaker. The consulting viticulturist is Lucy Morton. And um, we grew that you know winery from, I would say, starting 200 cases to 5,000 cases, um, built out everything. So... You know, I was in charge of all the operations, grape growing, winemaking, um, tasting room, distribution, uh, licenses, um, uh, branding, social media, like everything you could think uh, that you we couldn't even have forecasted because social media just started, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah and I'm like, oh, I got to create a Twitter account and, you know, and then to Facebook, to Instagram, to all that. And, um, and I loved it. And we were, you know, score very high points, get a lot of international acclaim, et cetera. So when, um, when I started to think about, you know, where my place was at the wineries called Boxwood, where my place was at Boxwood and what, you know, I wanted my future to be, um, I started thinking about other things that I could do other projects and I was uh I was on the board of the middle Middleburg Film Festival mm -hmm. which uh was founded I, I think in 2002 and um uh, it's now considered to be on the road to the Oscars the film festival I met my now husband so i guess my future husband he produced a film called the last five years which is a movie musical and i was on the board of the festival that's how we met in 2014 fast forward two years 2016 we're dating and i'm starting to meet his family members um and one of the people that i met was his dad's next door neighbor and very close friend henry warshaw henry has a vineyard uh, called Spanish Springs, which is now the exclusive source for Oceano wines. Mm. Uh, so Henry invited me to visit the vineyard because we had that in common, I guess. I grow grapes, you grow grapes, come and see my vineyard. Um, in California, I 
my earlier part of my life, I grew up in Southern California and I've always found reasons to go back there. I went to Brooks Institute of Photography in Santa Barbara. Um, as soon as I graduated high school, I got in my car and moved to San Diego um, from Virginia. So I was just keep wanting to go back and this seemed like another opportunity. Uh, so I visited Spanish Springs Vineyard. I fell in love with it because of its distinguishing features that make it such um, a unique and future legendary vineyard. Um, and I built a brand around it. So I fell in love with the vineyard um, at first sight. I called Kurt. I was living in Virginia. Kurt was living in New York City. Kurt's my husband. And I said, hey, um, you want to get in the wine business? And we were just dating at the time. And he was, you know, naively like, oh, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. So that's how Oceano Wines was born. Um, and like I alluded, or I, I pointed out, you know, I started drinking alcohol at a very young age. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think my first time I remember being intoxicated, I was 13 years old. Uh, so, so there's a lot to unpack there. But um, this all led me to my new project, Oceano Zero. Um, which I'm incredibly proud of. I mean, I just launched it October right. 1st, so it hasn't even been a full month. <laughs> um, but, you know, I when I first started thinking about, you know, non-alcoholic wine and where my place was or is in non-alcoholic wine, the only way to do that is to research it. And mm -hmm. so that's what I did with, you know, my fingers, my my thumbs and also with my taste buds and I tasted every single thing I could get my hands on. Luckily. Oh, you know, fat between then and now I got married to Kurt and I moved mm. to New York city. So that's where I'm based. And I jump off from there, from here. Um, so I, I live near a, a store called Boisson, which means Boisson let's drink in French. I mm. speak French. Um, so I, I went to Boisson in my neighborhood, the Upper West Side, and um, they, they are one of the largest, if not the largest, retailer of non-alcoholic beverages. I like to call it adult non-alcoholic beverages because it's not like sure. Coke and Sprite. Um, and uh, they have a huge online presence and also um, they distribute. So I tasted everything and I thought, Ugh, you know, these are all bulk wines. You know, I can mm -hmm. see right through this. This is all bulk wine. This is not the caliber of wine that I make. I'm a fine wine producer. I don't see where the grapes were grown on these labels. There's no vintage. What What the hell am I doing? Um, and then that's when my light bulb, you know, my aha moment happened. And I was like, oh, I can bring fine wine to the non-alcoholic wine. Mm -hmm. world and so I found my place and then I found my I'm not sober but I am uh, I, I don't know whatever you call it sober curious I drink right. uh you know 100 times less now than mm -hmm. I did previously and I'm loving it I'm loving all of it so that that's how I came to Oceano Zero well and it's 
I'm happy to hear you say that you did try a whole bunch of them because many of us have. And uh, while I have not had Oceano Zero, because like you just said, it hasn't even been out a month yet. Um, I have. I don't even want to say I've tried some non-alcoholic wines. Like I've had these inflicted on me in the past and they tend to all be pretty terrible. Uh, we're yeah. in a position right now socially and and historically where things like that, like I, I feel like you're striking while the iron is hot because things like that are moving out of, you know, uh, I don't even know how to say it, but like craft non-alcoholic or de-alcoholized beer is actually really good these days. And I've had a couple of them that I was I was shocked by. Uh, I have not tried your particular wine, but the ones that I have have lacked. And I so I feel you're absolutely right. There is a there is a need, there is a, a place in the market yeah. for that. I have an idea why. Um one one of my ideas of why. And I would say that the beer, these are brewers. These are people who make beer. Mm -hmm. And so they're coming from a perspective of, of their, it's a brewery. They're used to making beer. Not every non-alcoholic wine is made by people who make wine mm. or wineries. You know, um, like I said, a lot of these brands, call them brands, are buying bulk wine and so they're not involved in the grape growing they're not the winemaker that you know so i think just from you know the jump that is why i think more non-alcoholic beers are successful mm. at creating a good non-alcoholic product well, and I guess that that brings up one of my two big questions for you, which is I actually don't understand the the process there. So, like, how is it that you can make a wine and then remove the alcohol from it? Because I was I was just on your social media a minute ago uh, before we started here, and I was watching footage of some uh, tasting room managers trying your wine, and they were not only surprised but they were very impressed. It's sort of in general, I know that something happens to the liquid as it's being fermented that changes it. And so a lot of the failure of, of non-alcoholic wines is, like you mentioned, it's just grape juice. What is that process like as much as you can describe it? Yeah, so um, there are more, there's more than one way to remove alcohol from wine. We use the most innovative and gentle process to do that, which is called a spinning cone column. So you have a series of cones um, assembled in a column. Every other one, all, every, wait, yeah, every other cone spins. And it's like a centrifuge. So it spins out the alcohol. Huh. And aromas are captured onto a thin film. So we're spinning all of the alcohol out up to, we spin out to 0.25% alcohol. And then we add back into it, the film that's on an alcohol base to add aromas back in that were in the wine um, and uh, to accumulate less than 0.5% alcohol. Mm -hmm. 
if you spun everything out and then put everything back in, you'd be assembling, reassembling the wine. So we don't put all the alcohol back in, just just enough to add the flavors, aromas that were already present um, to be less than 0.5% so that, you know, it's less than kombucha, it's less than, say, bread, orange mm. juice, lots of other things. You can't, it will not get you intoxicated. Right. There's um, a there's a drink from Central and South America called Malta, which is roughly that same amount. And that's that's where my comfort level is. If I'm going to drink a Malta, I'll drink something that has that amount in it. Right. Yeah. And so it's uh, that's how we do it. Um, there are other ways that heat the wine up um, that causes like uh, off flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how we do it. So we we. Um, pick our grapes <laughs> and then we make our wine. We select yeasts that are um, produce lower levels of alcohol mm-hmm. for the sugar. Um, and uh, then we, you know, we finish the wine, we age the wine. So it's made into wine and then we age it in barrel and then we remove the alcohol and there are certain um, winemaking operations that we do during aging um, to build body naturally in the wine, which is lees stirring. So when you uh, inoculate your grapes, so when you add yeast to um, transform the sugar into uh, wine, uh, the grape juice into wine, a byproduct is alcohol and CO2. Um, those yeasts, once they're done, uh, consuming all of the sugar, there's nothing left for them to eat. So they die and they fall to the bottom of the vessel. Mm-hmm. So once it's done fermenting, we rack, um, the wine into barrel and there's still lees. So they're suspended. And then you clarify by continuing to rack and you continue to rack the wine off of the lees. And that's how the wine is clear. Hmm. So we um, don't rack completely off the lees. We keep lees in the fermentation barrels or in the aging barrels. And then we stir. So we stir hmm. the lees to bring it back in contact with the wine and it builds body, it builds mouthfeel. And those are called manoproteins. So we're doing that. So then the absence of alcohol, when you remove alcohol from wine, you're removing body, you're removing sweetness. So alcohol is sweet and it has volume and it also is an aroma agent so it delivers aromas. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that's when you swir- swirl, you know, yes. the, the alcohol is releasing those aromatics. So when you take all of that out, what's really important with the qual- quality is you're kind of like, it's, it's like taking, I don't mean to be weird, but it's like, uh, it's bare, you know, it's like removing all of the 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 clothing. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. so what you're left with is is what you know the pure the purity of of 
the source. So if your wine isn't great, you're removing, you know, you're, you're leaving it bare and it's just going to show it's um, inferior quality. Mm-hmm. So it is very important to start off with excellent fruit coming from excellent vineyards and then making great wine and then removing the alcohol. So what you have is a fantastic wine without alcohol, but to build the body back, we add a little manoprotein. So the same things that we used while we were making the wine and um, a little bit of sugar because you have to balance the acidity. Yeah. And that's what, you know, alcohol plays an important part of balancing the wine. So um, we add a very small amount of cane sugar just to balance the product. So what we have are less than one gram of total added sugar and one glass of Oceano Zero Pinot Noir, one five ounce glass is five calories. And that's a big difference in other non-alcoholic wines. You'll find much higher caloric count. You know, I venture to say sugar is added to mask um, faults or not so awesome flavors. And that's how Oceano Zero Pinot Noir differs from, that's one way differs from other non-alcoholic wines. We have a vintage on our wine. Uh, I look at Oceano Zero as wine, whether it has alcohol in it or not. So um, we, yeah, every vintage, every, every Oceano Zero wine will always have a vintage. It'll always have a vineyard designation. It'll always have a regional designation. So it's Spanish Springs Vineyard. San Luis Obispo Coast ABA. So um, in the region, you have distinguishing factors within each region. Mm -hmm. So we're bringing all these hallmarks to find wine to the non-alcoholic wine space so that people like me and other, you know, people like me who love wine, who are knowledgeable about wine, care about regionality, they can say, oh, my God, you know, Oceano Zero Pinot Noir has all of these hallmarks that I am accustomed to. And I, I get that. I can connect with that. Mm-hmm. There's a limited amount of wine we make every year. It's not a lot of product. You'll see on a lot of on many um, beer, perhaps as well, because beer is not a made from fresh produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not about a vintage, whereas wine is about a vintage because you have fresh fruit. So um, we made 88 cases of 2022 Oceano Zero Pinot Noir. That's it. There's no more, you know, mm-hmm. that when it's done, it's done. Um, so uh, that's not the case in uh, I would say 95% of all non-alcoholic wines. Um, so it's always going to be that way with Oceano mm-hmm. Zero. And these all these small details add up to uh, a better experience, a more wine-like experience, because that's what I'm making is wine. Yeah. 
you know, not to be confused with a proxy because those are in the non-alcoholic wine world as well, where it's a, they're trying to create a Venice experience. I guess they call them wine proxies. There's not, there, it was never wine. Mm. It was never fermented though. It's like um, maybe a little bit of cider vinegar is in it and some juices and extracts and that type of thing. Um, but mm. we're making wine and um, that's my expertise. And that's what Oceano Zero is. Sure. Is yeah. a wine a wine product just minus the alcohol. Hmm. So now this, the, the vintage you have out right now is, is a year old. Um, as far as holding and aging goes in the bottle, are you worried at all about the lack of alcohol in there changing that process at all because i know that you can hang on to some wines for a long time but in many cases the alcohol acts as a preservative yes in, in every case but um so our vintage is 2022 that's when the grapes were picked the 2022 oceana zero pinot noir was bottled in june hmm. of 2023 so it's not a year in bottle. So uh, it's been, what is that? Four months, <clears throat> almost five months in bottle. No, it's not meant to age. Hmm. We have a best buy date on uh, this vintage, which is December 30th, 2024. We're, we think 18 months um, to enjoy it at its best. Doesn't hmm. mean it's going to go bad. Right. Um, that's why we close our bottles in a screw cap mm. because the wine, this is my first time ever using screw caps. Um, we all, I've always made wines with ageability. Um, so yes, we close in screw cap. Okay. So there's, yeah, there's no, there's no permeability there and, and the wine. Okay. Gotcha. That's also like, I edge into a decent amount of knowledge about winemaking, but I am by no means an expert. That's okay. You can, whatever uh, you don't know, I can help fill in the blanks for you. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting away from the de-alcoholization topic for a moment. And in, I, I want to ask you about the wine world, because in my industry, it is still, it's 2023, and it is still really difficult for women in management and ownership and responsibility-based roles. And I wonder if you can speak about what that looks like in the wine world, and if that holds true there as well. Yeah, you know, um, I would say not so much in an ownership role. But I definitely think it's difficult, more difficult um, in the mid-tier roles, in distribution roles. It's still very much a man's world, um, definitely in the alcohol space. I think it was like that in tobacco as well and, and other things where it's like, the guys club and mm -hmm. this is a place where there's like you know semi-nude posters or in the back room kind of stuff that make it um hostile environment for women um 
so I, for in the ownership role, sure, I've had people assume that I was the marketing person so many times, not the owner of the winery. Um, uh, um, but it, I, I would say when I started out in wine and I was selling, cause I also sold my, I did it all of it for my stepfather's company. When you go to see a psalm or a beverage director to sell your wine, um, and it's a man who maybe is like, oh, you know, not me per se, but oh, she's hot or whatever, you know, um, that's a real thing where it's mm-hmm. like if you're a guy walking in, you know, it's not, it's more of a bro mentality and not like a weird vibe thing sexual vibe thing um i feel for lgbtq plus ia people in the industry because i mean it's better now than it ever has been Mm -hmm. but there's still this like macho vibe that happens because it's like i don't know it's this weird bro thing that women have been kept out of for you know, centuries, whether it be um, country clubs or social clubs or, you know, I I belong to Les Dames de Scoffier, which is a membership community of women in fine wine, food and hospitality. It was founded by Carol Brock uh, in the 70s. There's a community of um, the, um, the Sco- like chefs, de Scoffier, it, he, he was a chef. And women were not allowed to be in the community. So Carol, Dom Carol Brock, she created Les Dames de Scoffier for women. So we've been up against this since day one, women. And um, sure, there 10% of US wineries are founded by women. Um, you know, that's because of financial barriers, Mm-hmm. Because a lot, lot of reasons why that is because it hadn't been modeled, you know, um, I would say mostly it's probably financial. There are a lot of women who are owners of wineries and not founders because they started with their spouse or um, their spouse passed away and then they took over the business or their parent, they were the only ch- uh, child and their uh, their parent's daughter and the wineries left to them, but so few are founded by women. Mm. Um, and of course that the number will only grow, but it really helps to, for people like me to be vocal and be out there and model for other women and not just model it, but like mentor, Right. you know, this is how you do it. It's, it's not, you know, magic and I can help you. Uh, but what's really important, of course, is it's so capital intensive because mm-hmm. uh, you make everything at least a year before you start selling it. Um, so, you know, access to capital, I would say, is maybe the biggest barrier for women um, founders. And yeah, so... I, I got here. I'm still here. <laughs> hey, 
I'm hanging on, Ben. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere. Um, but we're yeah, so it's 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 awesome how many more women are um, you know, decision makers mm-hmm. in the industry. And I wish there were more women at, at the top, you know, seat uh in in these either it be a corporation um or small small businesses like Oceano. Sure. Sure. So now um I guess I'm I'm glad to hear that you've got hope about it. I mean in my industry it feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And you can just read the mm-hmm. news pretty much any day and and something awful is happening again. But um as far as your business is concerned, um Oceano in particular, how much are you anticipating that Oceano Zero is going to be a percentage of your your focus in the in in the business itself? I'm smiling for everyone who can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think about this a lot, and I believe that I will be reducing the amount of uh, Oceano wines, traditional wines, reducing my volume there and in leaning in to Oceano Zero. Oh. Yeah, like hard. Yeah. So next year I'm increasing my offerings. I'm adding two SKUs mm-hmm. and I am 3Xing my volume. Okay. And I plan to do maybe 5X the following year. That's aggressive. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that will also, we all have our own style, right? Yeah. And that's my style. Um, But I came in to the non-alcoholic world at a very um, opportune time at my level because I, Oceano Zero, Pinot Noir is the industry's first luxury non-alcoholic wine. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I have a, I have leverage because I came in first and I want to, um, you know, follow, just continue to push really hard so I can remain relevant. I don't ever think every, anything is easy. You know, I've learned that the hard way so many times. Um, so I'm going to just be, you know, aggressive in making sure I'm creating things that serve people and that people want. I mean, I the the whole thought of helping people achieve their goals and mm-hmm. le- live healthier lives without having to um cut things out of their lives that they love like wine um it makes me super happy and i think if i continue with that vibration you know that i can be successful at this Mm -hmm. well and i know speaking personally like my wife and i had an anniversary recently we went out to a very fancy dinner it was fun we actually took our two kids with us you know and because of who I am and what I do. Obviously we want to uh, involve them in all of the, the fancy food experience kind of stuff. Yeah. I would have really enjoyed 
a, a glass of wine at that at that meal. Now, the way that I operate these days, I don't even non-alcoholic beer still even though it's good makes me a little nervous you know but having mm. that option would have been tremendous for that particular meal with what i ordered yeah uh as i was reading about this particular wine that you have out right now i was just thinking about that particular meal i was like, oh, it gone so well <laughs> you know? yeah yeah you know what's interesting that i found that kind of blows me away as a longtime wine drinker mm -hmm. Uh, everything drinker, you know, booze drinker, all of it. Um, that the more I, I love Oceano Zero Pinot Noir. I had a pre-launch event at Southside Napa um, in September 20th, I think it was. And I was drinking Oceano Zero, but I had my other wines there too. I didn't feel like drinking them. Mm -hmm. I loved that I could drink wine I love the flavor. I love the taste. I love the finish. I love and feel fucking awesome. You know, yeah. like I, you, yeah, that I, it didn't make me want to drink the wine with alcohol. It, was, it had the reverse effect. Mm -hmm. And um, that sincerely blows my mind. Uh, I didn't expect it to be that way, that the more, the less I drink, alcohol the less i want to drink alcohol and that's what my my experience my personal experience has been because mm -hmm. i shared with you earlier i mean i i drink so much less like i will go you know three weeks without having any alcohol mm -hmm. and i'm and i and i love it and never thought ever thought i would feel that way e even like you know, 10 months ago, I, you know, I did dry January and that's how I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. You know, and I would have never expected before then to be, to feel this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now I'm like, there's a, there's another part of me, maybe that's been in the background or whatever that has emerged um, because of my, uh, my, I guess you call it reduction or my, you know, becoming sober, sober curious, whatever yeah, the hell yeah. it's called, <laughs> you know, uh, reducing my intake of alcohol has um, like amplified so many wonderful parts of my personality. Mm -hmm. If I may say so myself. Well, and, you know, I, I try not to be too evangelical about it because I'm on the other end of that spectrum. Like I'm jealous of folks who get to make that choice, right? Like when I quit drinking, I, I had to quit. Right? There's a whole story to that. But um, it, I found not right away, but I did find throughout that process. Yeah, I'm better at my job. I'm more present with my kids. Like I have more clarity in general. Like it's uh, the the improvements to my life were shocking <laughs> to me. Now, do I miss red wine when I'm having a ribeye? Yes, badly. Yeah. You know, even though it's been ten years, I still I still miss it. You know, so it's it's very good to hear that not only are you producing a product that you as as a professional who makes this 
also really enjoy, but that you think that you are on the crest of a wave that there's going to be more products out there that you're increasing your production. Like that's great for me to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I hear from people like you that say, I haven't had alcohol in say five plus years. This is like, this is the closest thing to wine I've ever had in the non-alcoholic space. Like they're so happy, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's answered, you know, this, this quest, this, this, search, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, like I like to call it like that itch, you know, yep. that you can scratch. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It makes me super uh, happy to be able to do that for, for people. And, and, you know, and then it's also self-fulfilling, which is cool too. That is awesome. Uh, so that honestly, that's all of my questions. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't? Broached yeah, yet? I would like to talk about. Um, are you you're in Illinois? Is that right? Chicago? Yeah, Chicago. Can you tell me in the Chicago restaurant industry? Is there a movement for non alcoholic wine and beer and cocktails? You know, I have been so short answer. Yes. And I have been not only surprised, but like shocked at, I mean, we have now, so the, the, the fancy restaurant that we went to for my anniversary, they had five mocktails on their menu, one of which I had, and it was not only really good, but it was well thought out, well executed. And they put time and effort into it. Looking at their menu, it's not like they said, well, we've got pineapples on this other thing. We'll make a pine. Like they yeah. really went out of their way to do it. Yeah. Um, there's a place called Bendicion Dry Bar that just opened up here in Chicago, which oh. is exactly that. It's all non-alcoholic spirits and beer and mixers. And I I presume they have wine, but I haven't looked into it that much. And so I would say 100%. And I also, I move in circles like that. But I mean, I had a friend of mine reach out to me a couple of days ago out of nowhere saying, I need to quit drinking. Can you help me out? And one of the first things that he said was, do you have good recommendations for non-alcoholic beers that I can drink right now, just because I I need to have my hand on a glass. I need to have that thing, you know? And so that seems to be, I don't want to say it's the Nicorette model, but like the idea (laughs) of if you want to quit drinking, here's the thing that you can still keep drinking, but you're not going to be intoxicated by it. And so, yeah, I'm seeing that I'm not having any trouble finding something like that when I go out, which is great. Yeah, that is great. I love Chicago. Um, we were, we spent a lot of time there last summer. My husband is producing the notebook. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you follow musicals, but it was at the Shakespeare theater in Mm -hmm. Chicago. And we spent a lot of time whining and dining or whatever in Chicago and just love the industry there. So I, I assume because it's, you know, on the forefront of, of newness and trend that, Chicago would be a good place for non-alcoholic. Um, what made me something that came to mind when you were talking, I think it's really important to normalize non-alcoholic options because yeah. like for your friend who's like, dude, hook me up, help me out. I'm trying to drink less. If we just normalize it more, it won't be so stigmatic, yeah. you know? 
Um, so that's also something that I, I think that we, you, me, and others in the industry should really work toward, which is normalizing it. Well, there's that. And there's also, like you were talking about the bro culture, when you walk in as a distributor or a vendor to a restaurant, it's even worse if you're still working there, right? So like that Mm. whole, it's not even drinking as a normalized thing. It's drinking as competition in the industry and it's still rampant, right? So there's there's an even bigger shift that needs to happen as far as within the industry itself, my industry itself. Uh, But that's who I'm finding is reaching out to me are other chefs who are kind of on the slide. They're like, Hey, I need to slow down. How can you help me out with this? Because it would be weird to be a chef and be sober. And it's, it sucks. But a lot of times what I have to recommend to people is you have to quit your job. Like you have to go to a new place and start as the sober guy, because nobody's going to believe you. Right. I know that it's so sad. Yeah. When you look at like that. Um, But, but here we are, you know, I feel like this is, uh, a new it's a movement you yeah. know and um and so i really really am grateful uh for you having me on your show um because it it helps other, it like i said it just helps other people well yeah and that's where i can do that i'm happy too because when i was a kid when i was coming up i didn't have that you know and that's the yeah. only way i can change that for everybody who's coming up underneath me is to be that guy so no, the, I, when when your folks reached out to me, I was very interested. I was very excited uh, awesome. to talk to you. That's great. Well, um, thank thanks so much. <laughs> and and uh, if you're ever in New York City, please don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm not out of Chicago very often, but uh, <laughs> if I am, case. if I am going to be anywhere, you know, we tend to go east rather than west. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, Ben, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and good luck with the increase. Yeah, you'll be, <laughs> yes, we'll definitely, um, we'll send you a bottle uh, oh. if that's okay. Yeah. So that you can taste it. Um, our Oceana Zero Pinot Noir, the, the vintage that we have out. That'd be amazing. I'd really appreciate that. Okay, awesome. You bet. All right, yeah. thanks, Ben. Yep, take care. Take You too. Bye. Bye. And that was my interview with Rachel Martin of Oceano Wines. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all. I was not prepared to come into this and learn a bunch of stuff, but I did. And it seems that uh, I need to uh, to tip my hat. I need to bow a little bit because my knowledge of winemaking is sorely lacking. And there, there are things that I need to learn now. But Rachel was so generous with her, with her time and expertise. And uh, in fact offered to send me a bottle of what is being considered the world's first luxury dealcoholized wine. So I will very soon, I suppose, be, um, I'll have it in my hand. I'll be in possession of a 2023 Oceano Zero Pinot Noir. So I guess I, the only decision left to make now is do I buy a steak or do I buy some lamb? I have to go way back in my memory to see, um, what's going to go best, right? I'm very, very, very excited to try this. And of course, I will let all of you know what I think once I do uh, have it in my possession. If you have things to add to this conversation, if you want to have your your voice heard or you have information about winemaking or the dealcoholization process or any of that kind of stuff, please feel free to reach out. You can get a hold of me at InTheWeedsWBR 
at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where you will definitely see me trying this wine once it arrives. And we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group for the show. If you just look up In the Weeds with Ben Randall on Facebook. So until next time, until we, Steve and I get together again or we get more guests on, ah, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall and we'll talk at you next week.